If you've got a Bible, which I hope you do, get it to uh, the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be in chapter 23 today, looking at verses 26 through 43. I had racked up so much debt. On a consistent basis, early in our marriage, I was accruing more and more debt. And that didn't even account for the debt that I had brought into our young marriage. And I'm not talking about financial debt. I'm talking about the sin debt that was building relationally between Heather and I. Ways that I was sinning against my wife and one biblical picture of sin is that of debt. And one providential day in our early 20s, a few years into our marriage, and yes, early 20s was a few years into our marriage, the Lord, because He loves me, because He loves Heather, because He loved our growing family tree, moved my debt into the light of His truth and grace. From the ways that I had sinned against my wife, both in our marriage, let alone what I brought in, the brokenness I brought in, all of that was moved into the light of His goodness. It was a long night of confession on my part. Feelings of shame and guilt and condemnation in me and frustration and hurt and sadness in her, tears among us both, the accounting column, if you will, that I had accrued over years was moved into the light. I still remember 20 plus years ago, my wife looking in my eyes at some point in that long evening and probably saying this multiple times, saying, I forgive you. And it wasn't because my wife was excusing my sin or justifying it because what had happened to me growing up or just writing it off as, a, as no big deal. Forgiveness was a faith-filled choice for her that late evening. It would be a faith-filled choice for her in the next day when the Lord's mercies were new and the day after that and the day after that. See, she had two choices in response to how I had sinned against her. Either hold my sin against me or cancel the debt. Either tell me to work my way out of it by doing X, Y, and Z, or choose to forgive because Christ had first forgiven her. To forgive didn't mean that her and I would forget. We're humans. Unfortunately, that's not possible. Nor did it mean that, you and, uh, that her and I would be flawless toward one another from that point forward. Nor did it mean that because I had been shown grace and mercy and heard the words of I forgive you that I wanted to happily return to the dog vomit in my life. And if our marriage were built on a contract, then she would have said to me, work your way out of this. You're in debt, so work your way free. By your working, you will lessen my bitterness and my hurt and my sadness. But that's a contract. It's a contract. Our marriage was built on the gospel. At least that's what we've been, what we've been trying to do for 25 years, by the grace of God. A Christ-centered marriage is a covenant, not a contract. A covenant that is intended to reflect the gospel and the covenant of grace that believers have in Christ. I forgive you. Knowing that when she said those words, it was one of the most expensive words and sentences she'd ever said. It wasn't cheap. She was choosing to not count my sins against me or hold it against or over my head for years and years. She was choosing to reflect Jesus to me. Forgiveness given and received in our marriage over the years has been a sweet gift. Forgiveness given and received in any horizontal relationship here on this earth is a sweet gift. 
and ultimately for believers, what it is, it is a reflection horizontally of our vertical relationship with Christ, the forgiveness that we have received in Him. The Bible says the wages of sin that we've all racked up because we are born with sin, a sin nature and prone to worship lesser things, the penalty of that sin debt is eternal death. And no amount of good works on our part will cancel that debt. We are in need of forgiveness from our God who created us and who we've sinned against far greater than any earthly relationship. An insurmountable debt is in need of an even greater grace. And loved ones, the Father has made a way possible for an even greater grace to unfold in your life. Through the birth, life, death, and resurrection of the Son, so that by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, we might be forgiven. The debts canceled, our hearts washed white as snow, slates wiped clean. Because on the cross, the Father laid the sin of the world upon the Son. The Son died in our place. He willingly substituted Himself so that by faith alone, in His death, we might live in Him. And then He beat death on the third day to prove He was the very Son of God and most worthy of our utter trust in him there are two options we created people have and how we respond to the forgiveness found in jesus christ we either reject it or we receive it there is no third option we either say i don't need his forgiveness by saying i don't need a savior i can save myself by my good works or i can work my way out of this or i don't need forgiveness because well my sin, my sin is nothing like that person over there or we can justify it, or we can excuse it, or so we can either reject it, or we can humbly receive His forgiveness, knowing that an even greater grace is what we are in desperate need of. Recognizing that we are in need of His grace, which He is faithful to give to the repentant sinner who comes running home to the Father. The Father who meets us with grace and celebration and compassion and love. Where are you at? Some of you are rejecting the saving work of Jesus on the cross, proudly saying, I don't need His forgiveness, or I'll do that later in my life, or I'm not ready. If I can lovingly say this to you, it is utter foolishness. Tomorrow is not promised. Today is the day of salvation, April 3rd, 2022. Today is the day of Salvation, humbly receive His forgiveness today. Respond to the man on the middle cross today. Others of you are believers in Christ, having received His forgiveness and, and living in light of His goodness and grace and His forgiveness toward all our past, present, and future sin. In the passage that we're looking at today, as Jesus nears His death, we see both those who are rejecting and a criminal who receives. As we track along here in Luke's account, we see... In this passage, Jesus warned of judgment, make sure, and then, and then declaring that forgiveness is possible and that paradise is promised to those who humble themselves and receive His forgiveness. In the timeline of the Passion Week, today is Friday. Jesus is moving toward the cross, verse 26 in Luke 23. As they led Him away, they seized Simon, a Cyrenian, meaning North Africa, who was coming in from the country and laid the cross on him to carry behind Jesus. A large crowd of people followed him. 
including people who are mourning and lamenting him, but turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and your children. Look, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the women without children, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? The night before this public march, Jesus suffered great physical suffering. He is weak, worn out, beaten up, emotionally spent, physically spent. He already has unimaginable wounds on his body from the flogging the night before. So as he walks toward his death, those wounds begin to open open back up. The blood loss is is tremendous. Criminals carry their own crossbeam to their death, a, a piece of wood weighing anywhere from 75 to 125 pounds. Simon was traveling to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration. He probably knows little, if anything, about who this Jesus is, but a, but a Roman soldier has said, carry this, and so he's going to be brought into that narrative, whether he wanted to or not. The Romans wanted this walk of a criminal to their death to be a very public event. It was to show that when you rebel against Rome, this is what you get. A Roman guard would, would lead the way, carrying a sign of the name and the, criminal, and, the, and the crime that they had done, as well as verbally shouting it to the crowds, a warning to the crowd and shame upon the criminal. And behind Jesus, a large crowd followed, including women, sympathizers to his pain, his impending death. And Jesus turns to them and says, don't weep for me. Direct your grief away from me. Turn it toward the people in the city of Jerusalem. Turn it toward yourselves, for ultimately they will be the ones who face judgment and the city will be overrun by the enemy. He's warned of this a couple times already in this final week of his earthly life. He's not rebuking their grief. He's redirecting it toward the city that will face destruction because of their pride and rejection of the one true Savior who had been in their presence. What we see here, even as Jesus is struggling to walk to his death, he's still compassionate. He's still other-oriented, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. He doesn't want their empty sympathy. He wants to see them trust in him. He's been warning them. This is another example. Jerusalem's going to be overrun. And that comes to pass in 70 A.D. The wood's going to be dry. It's going to burn quickly. He quotes from Hosea 10.8, saying that people are going to be so desperate for relief that they're going to ask and beg the mountains and the hills to fall upon them and just end it. Judgment in response to, God, to, to the people's rejection of His forgiveness is coming, Jesus is declaring. But today, again, is the day of salvation. For the Father did not spare His own Son, and the Son willingly endured the cross for the sake of the ungodly. That's you and me. He was crushed for our healing. He was flogged for our freedom. He sacrificed Himself for our salvation. He drank of the cup of wrath completely and fully so that we could no longer be children of wrath, but but children of the Most High, sons and daughters, adopted, secure in the Father's hand. Verse 32, two other criminals, two others, criminals, were also led away to be executed with him. When they arrived at the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. 
Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they're doing. And they divided his clothes and cast lots. Crosses were made for criminals. And Jesus in this moment is counted among the criminals. Dying for sin that he did not commit, but that was ours to bear. And Jesus is raised up upon that cross between two criminals, his, his hands nailed, his feet tied. Crucifixion is the most excruciating way that humanity has ever come up with to kill someone. The intensity and the pain of the cross reveals the depth of our sin. At the same time, the brutality of the cross reveals the depth of his love. His love, compelled by love, to undergo death on a cross so that anyone who repents and believes in Him might be forgiven, forgiven, washed clean, receive eternal life. Father, forgive them, He says, because they do not know what they're doing. The people are blind to the evil and injustice of this moment, and yet the people are still accountable for their actions. Jesus, in the midst of this tragedy, is saying, forgiveness is available. And Jesus tells us in, in Luke 5, 24, that only the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. We've all sinned against the Lord, so only the Lord Himself has the authority to forgive. And when we humble ourselves, He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, loved ones. The story continues, and, and as it does, we see this contrast between how people respond to the heavenly offer of forgiveness. Verse 35, the people stood watching, and even the leaders were scoffing. He saved others, let him save himself. This is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him. They came offering him sour wine and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. An inscription was above him, This is the king of the Jews. Then one of, one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. The, lead, the leaders, the soldiers, even one of the criminals hanging next to him are all mocking Jesus. Hey, Jesus, perform for us, miracle boy. Don't, you did some miracles, why don't you perform some more? Save yourself, save us. The sour wine is not an act of compassion, it's an act of sarcasm, ridicule. No one there thinks Jesus can actually save himself, let alone anybody else. All they see in this moment is a man who is broken, beaten, soon will be dead. Their assumption is this will be the end of this Jesus talk. This will be the end of this Jesus movement, but this is all part of the sovereign plan of redemption. The one who supposedly isn't in control at all upon the cross is fully in control. On a good Friday, dying for the ungodly, including those who mock him. Will anyone in this tragic scene receive his forgiveness? Verse 40, but the other criminal, the other criminal answered, rebuking him, don't you even fear God since you are undergoing the same punishment? We are punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things we did, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I tell you today, you'll be with me in paradise. The humble criminal looks at the arrogant one on the other side of Jesus and rebukes him. How can you taunt this innocent man when, when you've actually earned the sentence that you are 
experiencing right now. We are hanging on these crosses because of wrongs we've committed. We're getting the deserved justice for our debts. But this man, the man on the middle cross, is innocent. He's done nothing wrong. He's serving a sentence that is not his to serve. The humble criminal recognized that they deserved to die, that they were guilty and had done wrong. They'd broken the law, and this was their just punishment. You see the second criminal confessing the truth of what he sees. I'm guilty and impure. Jesus is innocent and pure. And notice in verse 42, the humble criminal recognizes that this is not going to be the end of the story of Jesus. He will be establishing a kingdom. A kingdom that can't be killed or stopped upon a cross. What you see in this confession of the humble criminal is that he is transferring his faith away from himself and putting it upon the man on the middle cross, the one who's bloodied and beaten. And you might be thinking, why would I put my faith upon him? It looks like he's going to die. But this other criminal knows that this is not going to be the end of the story. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This is the only person in this entire story that addresses him by his name, Jesus. This is personal. This is intimate. Jesus, I trust you. Remember me. This is a deathbed confession, pleading for help, coming out of a heart that has recognized his own guilt and need of cleansing and the fact that Jesus is able to make him clean and forgive him. Because Jesus is the pure one, the spotless Lamb of God who can take away the sins of the world. And he said to him, Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus is other-oriented through his entire way of life. It never stops, even in this horrific suffering. This is not a casual conversation. These are men hanging there for hours in midst of being killed having to lift up their body with with nailed hands and tied feet in order to breathe, let alone just to talk. In the midst of Jesus dying, he says, truly I tell you, you can count on this. His promises are sure and certain because the one with the authority to forgive earthly sin is the one who rules over the eternal kingdom. The indescribable, perfect, harmonious, eternal new heavens and new earth. You will be with me. Jesus says. This is the prize for the Christ follower. Unhindered fellowship and union with Christ, no longer in the presence of any sin, but only in the presence of His glory and alongside brothers and sisters from all of history and every tribe, tongue, and nation. Eternal paradise is promised to those who humble themselves. Eternal paradise is promised to those who humble themselves before Jesus who don't reject His forgiveness, but receive it, knowing it is only through His forgiveness that eternal life is found. Don't wait for your deathbed to make this confession. Because no one, including me, is promised a deathbed moment. Today is the day of your salvation. We're all born criminals, me included. The Apostle Paul called himself the chief of sinners. We've all missed the mark to live perfectly for the glory of God. We are in need of grace. We are in need of forgiveness. And the good news of Jesus is that He was born of a virgin, sinless and spotless, not carrying the sin disease that we all have. And the innocent one died for the guilty. 
so that through faith alone and by grace alone, the guilty might become clean. Debts canceled, slates wiped clean, hearts washed white as snow, our unrighteousness laid upon the man on the middle cross so that we might be clothed and covered in His righteousness, forgiven so that we might be set free to worship Him and Him alone. Loved ones, can you relate to the humble criminal hanging next to Jesus? I can, recognizing and admitting our own sinfulness, actively trusting in Jesus and not yourself for the forgiveness of sin, transferring your trust away from yourself and onto the faithful one, confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord of your life. I'd encourage you to make these declarations in your heart to the Lord in prayer right now. Even as we stand to sing that, Jesus, I'm sinful, I need you. Jesus, I don't don't want to trust in myself, I want to trust in you. Jesus, I confess that you're the Lord and leader of my life from this point forward. Today is the day of your salvation, April 3rd, 2022. Today is the day to receive the good and sweet gift that it is to be forgiven of all our past, present, and future sin vertically in Christ because His, His sacrifice is sufficient. It's good. For those of us who are believers here, may the good news of Jesus lead us away from either a hopeless despair or a horrible arrogance and lead us instead to a worshipful joy and gratitude for the one who hung on the middle cross is no longer hanging there. He beat death. He's no longer bloodied and beaten. He rose victoriously. He's reigning. He's ruling. He's worthy of our trust. To close in prayer, we're going to read the first half of Psalm 103. My soul, bless the Lord, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. My soul, bless the Lord, and do not forget all His benefits. He forgives all your iniquity. He, he heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with faithful love and compassion. He satisfies you with good things. Your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord executes acts of righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He revealed His ways to Moses, His deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. He will not always accuse us or be angry forever. He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His faithful love toward those who fear Him. Let's stand up and worship the God who makes that reality possible. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His faithful love toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him. For He knows that we, what we are made of, remembering that we are dust. For as for man, his days are like grass. He blooms like a flower on the field. When the wind passes over it, it vanishes, and its place is no longer known. But from eternity to eternity, the Lord's faithful love is toward those who fear him, and his righteousness toward the grandchildren of those who keep his covenant, who remember to observe his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, all his angels of great strength 
who do his word, obedient to his command. Bless the Lord, all his armies, his servants who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all the places where he rules. My soul, bless the Lord. I pray that we would walk as the people of God, blessing the Lord, worshiping him for his goodness and grace toward us as we walk this week.